Father, this evening we have come for one purpose alone, Lord. Because you say through your word, ultimately only one thing matters. The state of our soul. So whether we have come here tonight strong in the body or weak in the body, well in the body or ill in the body, we have come to be fed in our soul. There's only one thing that can bring wholeness to our soul and fatness to our soul. It is your word, Lord. So Father, I pray, once again give us hearing ears, mind that understands, the heart that believes, and above all, the will that obeys. Because you said, if you're willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land, the best of the life you have to offer us, the life of Christ itself. Speak tonight, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. If you remember last Wednesday, we looked at, and the previous Wednesday, we looked at the promises of God standing still, different stages in our life, different situations we go through life, and all that we have ultimately, and the only thing that matters are what God has spoken to us. That's the only thing that matters. What God has spoken and the person of God. Remember, both is important. Don't disassociate these two. The person of God, God the person, and what he has spoken. Keep both together for safety. Because a lot of believers detach one from the other and only look at the promises of God, which can be very dangerous, even in the lives of God's own people in the Bible at the end. Let's turn to the first words for today. Is from Second Peter chapter 3. And four, I was preaching on the pastor's conference on Monday uh, with the pastors. You know, this is a, two verses you can go for hours together, but let's look at it. His divine power has given to us all things. I like always these words which say all. When God says all, it means all. All things that pertain to life, life here. God's divine power, His grace, the power of the Holy Spirit, life here, and godliness, which will really matter when we stand before God. Through, how does it happen? Through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. He called us. And He says it is only through knowing God. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Exceedingly great and precious promises. That through these, these promises are the key. That's why I said you need promises. General promises, specific promises. We all live by general promises. and We need specific. Through these, what happens? You may be partakers of that divine nature. The life Jesus said, I have come to give you life. That life. You partake of the very life of God, the resurrection life of God, and you escape the corruption that is in the world that comes through lust. There are two lives, a life the world offers and a life God offers. And he says, you partake of God's life 
and you escape the other life. Okay, so this is a unbelievable. Meditate upon this. I'm not preaching on this, but meditate upon these verses over and over and over again. Says, Lord, I believe. I believe. Now teach me, Lord. It's unbelievable promises. Unbelievable promises, but you can believe because God said it. Okay? It's incredible. But don't forget the purposes, purpose of the promises. It is so that we may know the divine. Don't detach the promises and take the promises and run into the world. Okay? Because it is possible to look at the promises of God and believe in the promises of God and really appreciate the promises of God because God is faithful. God has integrity. God is righteous. He never breaks his word. So you can take the promises, claim the promises and really run in life and yet never have a real close relationship with the person who gave the promises. That's very dangerous. It's one of the dangers Christians fall into. Unbelievers, of course, they don't come in over here because all these promises benefit me. But don't forget the person. And I believe this is one of the major struggles Christians face, the promises and the person. Put it together. Put it together like Moses did, like Jesus did, how they walked with God. That's why God says, love God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength. Love God. Okay, that's not the, that's a most important commandment, not the second one. The world is only talking about the second one and not talking about the first one. If you remove the first from the second, it changes. But God says, you love me with all your heart, all your might, all your strength. Okay? And then in Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, connected with the promises of God, you trust me. You have to make it personalize it. Trust the Lord with all your heart. All your heart. Love God with all your heart. Trust God with all your heart. That's where faith comes in. These two attitudes of your heart, your and my heart, will ultimately define what we are in eternity. Not where. We will reach heaven. But what we will be in all of eternity will be defined by these two attitudes of heart. Did we love God with all our heart? Did we trust God with all our heart? That's what God is talking about. Love me with all your heart. Trust me with all your heart. It will define how we run our race, how we fight that good fight of faith, how we finish that race. Because remember, but because these are so important, because this is connected with your faith, to trust God with all your heart is connected with your faith. To love God with all your heart is connected with love. And because of that, these two will be always tested by God. Because they are the most important two things you and I will need. And that testing will never cease. It will continue to test it till our last moment. Simply because it is the most important things in the kingdom of God. The most... Now we'll, let's come to trusting God. Faith, okay? Trusting God. Most difficult words written in the Bible. Spoken to a church by God was spoken to the church in Smyrna. Okay? In Revelation 2, verse 8, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works. No. When God says something first like that, you feel comforted. Yeah, I know your works. Like, let's say somebody finished their exams and said, it's okay. I know how you worked. 
Okay? It's a comforting. I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich. People say you are poor, but you are rich spiritually. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Right? When you first hear, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, you're hoping, okay, thank you, Lord, you know, you know, so I'm going to get out of this mess. But that's not what he says in verse 10. He says in verse 10, yeah, the next verse. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer, as if your suffering is not enough. God says, you're going to suffer more. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. I am going to allow it because you're going to be tested. You will have tribulation 10 days. It's talking not about 10 days. It's talking about a period of time where God says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He's basically saying, now, let's think about Joseph for a moment. You're lying in the dungeon, Joseph. But you have a hope in this life. What? You have two promises that you will come out and reign here. So you have, after some time, I will get out of prison. But to this, it's like the lawyer coming and says, you are on death row and your appeal has been rejected. You're going to die. You'll never be free again. That's what God is telling you. You're going to die. Really will send a chill up your spine. I don't know what the people in Ephesus or Smyrna, when they got this letter, they look it. Okay? Okay. It's the final word. The Supreme Court has rejected your plea. It goes finally to the president. The president also says no. Now you're waiting for the hangman. That's the only left. That's what's happening. You will die. Okay. And he's saying, be faithful unto death. Do you trust me? Will you trust me till your last breath? If you do, and you are faithful unto death. He says, I will give you the crown of life. He's saying, your reward it's going to be on the other side. Nothing here. Your reward also you have to see by faith and not by sight. It was easier for Joseph because he could see his reward here. And he experienced it here. But for this church, God is saying on the other side. What I'm going to give you? I'm going to give you the crown of life. And what did Jesus said? I have come to give you life. And life in abundance. What if... That life, part of that, the extreme part of that life is on the other side. In James chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, yeah, you can actually put 2 and 3. Um, consider it joy when you go through trials or testings of various kinds. That's verse 2. When you go through incredible trials and testing, be happy. Don't go into depression. Be happy. Why? All joy when you fall into various, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, perseverance. Different versions use different words. Okay? It's a testing of your faith. Tribulation, trials, testing of your faith. Why? James will explain in verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, trials, testing. For when he has been uproot, what will he receive? The crown of life. There are different crowns in the Bible. But this crown is promised to those who endure through trials and tribulations and don't break under it. 
It's a testing of your faith. So the lingering question always is, is my faith genuine? How will you know your faith is genuine? You will only know your faith is genuine when you are tested in life. So believers are constantly promised more and more testing. And if you are going through trouble in life, you are blessed. If you have no troubles in your life, I pity you. How will you know your faith is genuine? How will you really know your faith is genuine? Because that's when you realize how you will react according to the word or according to the ways of the world. Because if my faith is not genuine, then the grace I have is false. It's not real. Because everything is through grace. And grace comes through faith. So if my faith is false, then the grace is false. My salvation is false. And that is one thing you cannot wait till death to find it, whether I'm really saved or not. That's what happened to the rich fool. He waited till death. And when he died, he realized I was not saved. That's one thing don't don't gamble with. Okay, so that's where faith comes in. Remember, faith is the most important thing we need to be testing every day. And the promises of God. And God, his children, he takes them by step by step. I saw uh, Samir's profile on his WhatsApp. It's very cute. What I taught two weeks. Here, walk, live, please. And he's put it as his profile with the accompanying verses. So it's very clear to say, you know. So God will, this is a walk. It doesn't suddenly take a child and take them like that. For like those who are writing exams. It is a test of your faith. You don't realize. You think it's a test of your understanding. No. For believing children, it's a test of your faith. Especially when you get questions which you do not know. And you have friends who know. And this is your board exam. Then it becomes a test of your faith. When, like I heard, the examiner goes out helping everybody, but you just refuse to ask for help. That also happens in examination halls. You think it's a test of your understanding alone? Yes, that's in the world. But in the kingdom of God for his children, it is a test of your faith. And you don't realize your faith is being tested. God is saying, you sat in the church, you heard all this. Now, nobody is watching you. Nobody is watching you, but I am watching you. Pastor won't know, church won't know, nobody will know. It's a test of your faith. What will you do? So everybody goes through this test at different levels, at school, at college, at home, everywhere. This is a test of your faith. And God says, it will continue. Sometimes you get your answer fast. Sometimes it will take a long time. That's why you need patience, you need perseverance. You need endurance. So God says, you heard. Did you believe? Did you obey? And once you have come through one test, like all those who are writing class 10, you'll say, hallelujah, when it throws, when it finishes, you throw your books up and all that. You think it is over until you go to class 11 and realize the test is harder. It doesn't get easier. When you go to 12th grade, it gets harder. When you go to undergraduation, it gets harder. And if you reach PG, it gets tougher and tougher. Exactly in this walk of faith. The tests don't get easier. To Smyrna, he says, I'm not going to release you from the prison. You're going to die in the prison. And I expect you to believe what you have heard, the promises you have received, and remain faithful till the point of death. If you do, you will receive the crown of life. If you don't, you will receive life. You don't receive a crown. 
Okay? So always remember that. That is where the word of God comes in. That's where we come for the hearing of the word. Especially on a Wednesday. In spite of all the stuff you go through, you're still coming because you know in the world it is different. I'm running a different race and for which the word of God matters. Let's look at Hebrews 10. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Okay, faith comes from hearing. Full assurance, you hear the word, God speaks to you, and having our hearts sprinkled from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's the word of God. We're constantly cleansing ourselves, allowing the word of God to work in us, repenting, changing, and let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Yes, promises are there. But why do we hold on to the promises? Because he who promised is faithful. Why would the church in Smyrna willing to die in prison rather than recant and come out free? Because they know the one who promised is faithful. And you have to know that person behind the promises. Otherwise, when the test gets tougher and tougher, you will buckle under pressure and run. Because yes, you believed for certain promises which was good for you, benefited you here. But when there are certain promises which is not going to benefit you at all here, it may even bring death. You need to know the person behind the promise. Otherwise, the promise won't hold you in this life. That's what the Bible is talking about. Because the one who promised you is faithful. That's why you hang in there. And the writer of Hebrews, especially because he, the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish believers who had come and was going through unbelievable persecution in their age. He's writing from chapter 1 onwards, telling them, hold on, hold on, hold on, don't give up. In chapter 6, he will say this in verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence and full assurance of that hope. You have a hope of glory on that side. Till the end. Don't give up till the end that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You inherit certain promises, not just by faith alone. You need patience. Some promises, yes. Most promises, faith alone is not enough. You need patience. You need perseverance. You need endurance. And we know from the story of Joseph, it took him 13 years of unbelievable suffering before the promise came to. He had faith. He believed. But faith alone was not enough. He needed patience. He needed perseverance. He needed endurance. Always when you receive a promise from God, just don't ask for the faith to believe. Also ask for the patience to endure. Because he who promised is faithful. So everyone hearing and reading the word of God, remember, there is a person and there is the promises. The promises. And you need to be. Let me give you two examples, just as an aside what I told the pastors on Monday. Just two, two, aside from the life of Jesus Christ, okay? Very powerful in his life. John chapter 19, verses 31 to 37. Therefore, because it was preparation day, that body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. Okay, please understand that the day he died was a high day, meaning a special Sabbath, a Passover. Okay, it was a special Sabbath. The Jews asked Pilate that the legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Because when you are crucified, history says you don't die easily. Some people take days to die. Because that's the word, that's the reason you are crucified and not just executed. Because they want you to suffer and die. 
And you can hang in there for hours and days before you die. But because they want to bury them and they are Jews, they came and told Pilate, let's break their legs so they die faster. Why? Why break the, la- break the legs? Because you are crucified. And because you are crucified and your hands are crucified to breathe, you have to lift yourself up. And that's why it's so painful. Every breath is painful. So, But you still groan and you breathe. But if you break your life, you will die fast because you can't breathe anymore. Because you cannot lift yourself anymore. That's why they're breaking the legs and not doing anything. So understand the death God chose for his son. That's why they're coming to break the legs. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. He was already dead. They did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified. John is testifying. I was there. I saw this. And his testimony is true. And he knows that he's telling the truth so that you may believe. He says, you may find it very difficult to believe. He says, I understand you 21st century Christians. But I'm telling you, I was there. And I witnessed this. And I'm telling you what is true. They did not have to break his legs. He died. While the others, their legs have to be broken so that they could die. Why? For these things were done that scripture should be fulfilled. Look at the power of God's word. Let me show you. Exodus 12 and verse 46. In one house, this is the Passover lamb. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house. Nor shall you break one of its bones. Numbers chapter 9 and verse 12. They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break one of its bones. You need to realize, Israel, the Israel community, for 1,500 years, when they instituted, God instituted Passover, as a sign of what his son would go through, they had no clue. For every year, for 1,500 years, the Jews partook of the Passover lamb, and they never broke one bone of the Passover lamb. So that scripture could be fulfilled that when he dies, not a single bone of his would be broken. It's the power of God's word. For 1500 years, millions upon millions of Jews are partaking of the Passover, but they won't break a bone because it is written by Moses in the law. Don't break the bone. Why? Because one day John will come and says, behold the Passover lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And his legs cannot be broken. His bone cannot be broken. Bone cannot be broken. And then the psalmist will say in Psalm 34 and verse 20, he guards all his bones and not one of them is broken. So scripture is fulfilled. Why are these things important? Because you need to realize God can speak something 1500 years earlier and no man understands it, yet it will be fulfilled in the individual's life. Nobody understood what God had spoken when he did. They instituted and did this as a ritual for 1500 years. But nobody had any idea until John, post-resurrection, the Holy Spirit gives him their revelation. Do you see? This is scripture that is fulfilled. This is it. But that's the power of God's word. That's the power of God's word. That's what you have to understand when you zoom into the promises of God and he speaks to you, Rambada, promise, 
Remember the person who has promised. That's why you need patience. It doesn't matter whether it was born, spoken over you as a child through your father or a mother. And you're 18 here, 20 here, 22 years. The promise will not go away. You just need to be patient. It will come to pass. Because the one who promised is faithful. Look at another portion. You know Jesus, Jesus is dying on the cross and there's this incredible cry that comes out from his soul and he speaks it out says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's total darkness between the father and the son. For the first time in eternity, the father and the son are not communicating and in darkness he cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now this is his last breath. And this is what scripture says. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, okay, he hasn't heard from his father. There is a separation. It is dark. Yet when he is dying, what does he say? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Sight is gone. He doesn't hear physically. Faith is gone. He doesn't hear. Faith is gone, meaning he's not able to hear spiritually. There's darkness. Yet when he dies, what does he say? Father, into the hands I commit my spirit. So the question is, Jesus, you're committing your spirit into your father's hands. What is the promise do you have to hold on to? Do you have a promise? In Psalm 16, you will see why he commits and what's the only promise, only one single promise in the entire Bible, he will hold on to it and commit. What is it? Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Sheol. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. One promise, exactly one promise in the entire Bible, he has his hope. I know, Lord, my father, you have told me, you will not leave my soul in hell, in Hades, in Sheol, and my body will not decay. It will not see corruption. I know that. It's not that I will rise from the dead after one month or two months also. I know this body will not decay. I will rise. Therefore, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. This is the power of a promise. This is how we zero on to the world. And that's why I say this book, sadly, is the most neglected book by Christians. Neglected book by Christians. Not unbelievers. Leave others aside. Christians. They don't give it the attention it deserves. If you really know how real and how true the person of God who has spoken is. This sets you free. Here and there. The people don't pay their attention. The most underutilized book you hold in your hands. That's where faith is tested. And God is testing his son's faith at the peak. No sound, no prayer, no spirit, no nothing, no witness at all. The spirit has departed. The father and the son are separated. Everybody is against you. They're all mocking you. But you have one scripture, one promise to hold on to. The testing of your faith. Understand that. God will allow Everyone's faith will be tested. Why? In First Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why is your faith tested? 
so that you will know whether your faith is genuine or not. Will it result in the praise and the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ on that day? That's the key. Is my faith genuine? How will I know? And we know in life, everything that is precious, anything that of value is tested. Everything that you have, you have a testing departments in companies now. That is, their job is to test. In Job 23 and verse 10, that is the assurance of Job. He knows the way I, that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. This is a man tested like, like if you look at it, he's tested at every level. One, in one day he loses all his property. So there is an incredible loss in the world. Second, he loses all his family except for incredible sorrow in his soul. And then he's touched from head to foot with disease. So there's an affliction of the soul. There's an affliction of the physical body. And there's an affliction in the possessions. And he comes through. Because he says, after I am tested, I shall come forth as gold. He realizes this is a testing of my faith. One who promised is faithful and I will hold on to him. That's why he says, even if you slay me, yet I shall serve him. In Isaiah 48, verse 10, Isaiah says, God says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. So your faith will be tested. And if you don't pass that test, the test will be the same until you pass the test. And after that, enjoy for a season before the next test comes. Okay? Because everything that is of value will be tested. And what is the most precious, more than precious than gold? What is it? Your faith. And you will say, why is faith so important? Like, because children are here doing their exams. No. Children don't understand the purpose, actual purpose behind exam. Like, no, they think when you write an exam, only thing is your knowledge of that subject that is being tested. It's not that. So many things are being tested. Your understanding, your perception, whether you are able to very logically put the answers in precise terms in a specific amount of time. And why are there examiners in the examination hall? Whether you will do with integrity. They are not checking your answers alone. They are checking a whole set of parameters whether you are qualified to go to the next level. In India it doesn't work. People just mug and go. That's why after certain level you struggle because you did not understand concepts. You didn't understand the purpose of the exam was not to see whether your answer, anybody like hit and miss. People don't study the subject, they study question papers. No, that's not the purpose. So sight is tested and the reason is different. Reason is different. In the same way, faith is tested. Why is faith tested? In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5 is the most important chapter of verses which will tell you why we are tested. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, that is salvation. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we are looking forward to future in the hope of the glory of God. Okay, now look at the next two verses. Not only that, he says... Hey, hey, hang on, hang on. Don't get too excited. Okay, let me tell you the real fact. We also glory in what? 
tribulations. Who would glory in tribulations? But he says we glory in tribulations. Why? Knowing that tribulation produces, James said, testing of your faith produces patience. This says it produces perseverance. These are all different facets of the same thing. Perseverance, patience, endurance are different facets of the same thing. Produces perseverance. Why? Perseverance, character. Character. That's the reason. God is preparing a set of people who will rule in eternity. That is. So Joseph was called to reign over Egypt, put an Protective umbrella over his nation, over his people, keep them, because that was part. But for that man to reach that position, God said, I need character. And I'm going to put you through the fire. If you come through, you reign. You don't come through, you don't reign. That is the hope of our glory. That is why we rejoice and in, in our uh, glory, in our tribulation. That's why James says, be exceedingly glad when you go through trials or because you need to understand it's got to do something with it in eternity. And it has to be character that is proven character. Proven character. All these engineers who pass out, you know, they have done their project work and this thing. But actually when they get a job, you ask any one of them who actually work in companies and all, they make best friends with the foreman who is below them because he knows how the machines work. They know from textbook. Practical is another thing. Okay, practical is another thing. So that's what God is talking about. Remember, there is character has to be proven. And character, you will never know who you are until fire comes. You will never know who you are until you are tested. That is when you know. That's what, remember the issue in the book of Acts with, with Mark, John Mark, Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas and Paul were on the missionary journey. Mark left them halfway and went. And later there was a huge conflict because Barnabas wanted to take his navy along. But Paul said no. I don't want. This is a mission trip. Lot of difficulties and trial. That guy is not proven. Later at the end of the life, he will ask him to be brought because by now his character is proven character. Listen to what when Paul is writing the letter of Philippians in prison. Listen to what he actually talks about. Another young man called Timothy. There are two young men. Two, three young men. There is Timothy, there is Titus, there is Silas, there is Mark. But listen to what he says about um, Timothy. But you, you know his Proven character that as a son with his father, he has served me in the gospel. That's why I want Timothy along, because his character has been proven. He has not just been proven as a disciple with a master, as a church member, he has been proven as a son with, he's not as a son, he's a spiritual son. He says he's as faithful and as loyal to me as a own son would be. He says proven character. That's what God is talking about because until we go, we are tested, we really don't know who we are. We really don't know who we are, how we will react. Let me give you an example, okay? April 16, 2014, that was five years ago. Yeah? A South Korean ship called MV Seoul. MV means a marine vessel, okay? Not a navy vessel, a marine vessel, Seoul. On April 16, 2014, it sank. With 476 passengers, mostly students like you. 304 of them died. 
And they died because of the total mess the crew did. And the captain, the chief engineer, the first master and the second master were charged with murder. Because of the total negligence of when, because they panicked when the ship started listing. The character was shown. It was a kid who did not survive, who using his mobile phone actually activated the rescue vessels to come and not them. By then the vessels had come and then they asked for help. But they messed it up. The children, most of them died. It created such a huge outcry in Korea. But you know the, the, the most shameful fact? When the ship boats and all came to rescue, one of the first people to get into the boats to save their lives was the captain, the chief engineer, the first mate and the second mate. Now, rewind 100 years back, okay, 102 years back. This is to uh, one, uh, 1912. At 2.30 in the morning, Titanic sank. Seven minutes before it fully sank under the waves, the last sight that people see is the captain standing on the bridge and dying with his ship. He could have got out first, but captains don't abandon their ship if they have character. They will see the passengers rescued first. Some passengers were rescued, others couldn't be, so he chose to die with his ship. Because when a crisis came, 100 years apart, two ships, character was shown. Now ask this question. How will we know who we are? That's why to Smyrna, God says, Stay put. Stay put. It's a test of your character. It's a test of your perseverance. It's a test of your endurance. Say stay put. To Philadelphia, he says, I see your faith. You have not denied my name. You have kept my word. I see your love. Because you named your church Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. I see your love. I see your faith. Passing the test of faith, you're passing the test of love, and I'm going to rescue you. You know why? Because you passed the third test too, Revelation 3.10. Because you have kept my command to persevere. You passed the endurance test too. So when this trial comes upon the whole world and tests those who dwell on the earth, I'll keep you out of it. You don't have to die, because you already proved your metal. You don't have to die. While living, you proved. You proved. That's why these things are so, so important. So don't take all this trouble, whether you're young or old, on a Wednesday. Now, because summer is coming, temperature will go up. It's not going to be easy. But if you don't value your faith, then the coming is worthless. But if you understand the preciousness of faith, nothing will stop you. Nothing will stop you. You realize, my gosh, this is the most important thing. This is the most important training I can receive this life and a crown in the next one. Because ultimately we will be judged by the word. That's why Romans 10, 17 is so important. What does it say? So then, faith comes from hearing. We know about hearing. I'm not talking about hearing here. But hearing from the 
word of God. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing from the word of God. You need to hear. But honestly, look at anyone sitting over here. Honestly, anyone sitting over here. I'm not talking about people who have full day work. And I'm not talking about that also. After that. Honestly. With all the technology available to you. How much of us really value the hearing of the word? Got this. In your hand. And all you need is faith. Faith immediately gives access to grace. That's what it does. All you have to do is put it here. The AC comes on. It starts working. Power is always there. Grace of God is always available. But he says you access it by faith. There is no problem with power. There is no power outage in heaven. It's always full surplus. Anything you can. You can put all your gadgets. It will still run. You can bring more. It will run. He says you will never have an outage in heaven. But he says to access it. You need faith. And faith comes from. And hearing the. He says do you neglect this? So don't come before me, he say, and say, Lord, you don't know what I went through. God says, I know exactly what you went through, and I also know why you went through it. Because you didn't see grace. And my grace was sufficient for you. So be very serious about the hearing of the word, because faith comes from first part, is the word. That's why even though you're young, we keep on teaching you, teaching you, teaching you, so that one day when you're on your own feet in the world, it will be there at the back of your mind will be there at the back of your mind that you are able to make decisions according to the word. But mere hearing of the word of God and knowledge of the word of God, memorization of the scripture is not enough. Yes, you and I heard. But the question is, do you believe? Do you trust God? That's what Romans 10.10 will say. For with the heart one believes. That means trust. Trust the Lord with all your Don't lean to your own understanding. God says you heard. But do you believe what you heard? Do you trust? See, our problem is not with faith. (laughs) Our problem is with unbelief. (laughs) We hear. The problem is not that whether we heard. The question is, do we believe? Do we constantly fight unbelief? That's what 2 Corinthians 10, 5 to 7 is. Casting down every argument and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not leave. Yeah, that's it. Everything that is against the word of God, you reject. You reject. I say, I'm not accepting it. Does it agree with the word of God? Doesn't? I'm not. So it's a constant fight with unbelief. Do you trust? Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe that every word in this is true? I like that verse in KJV. Last week also we saw 119. Thy word is true from the beginning. Other versions will make it entirety. But I like this. Your word is true from the beginning. And every one of your righteous judgments endureth forever. About this scripture, when C.H. Spurgeon wrote, he said, "Is this is how he wrote, he said, The scriptures are as true as in Genesis, as in Revelation. And the five books of Moses are as inspired as the four Gospels. This is 
they are true from the beginning. Meaning, you and I will give the same trust to what God has spoken in Genesis, to what he has spoken in Revelation, to Leviticus, to Romans. Because your word is true from the beginning. And I'm telling you, young people, I got saved at your age. At your age. I didn't have this. Good, I didn't have this because if I had this, I wouldn't have understood it. I had a good news Bible. That's enough. Begin with good news. It's very easy English. My question is, do you read at least a good news Bible? I devoured my good news Bible. Not even the Old Testament, New Testament alone. So the question is not age. The question is, do you really believe? Do you really believe? That's what God is saying. Your faith is being tested. It's more precious than gold. Do you really believe? Because if you do not know the word of God and meditate upon the word of God, how do you trust God? You're leaning on your understanding. That's the problem. From the beginning. Your word is true from the beginning. Look at the beauty of it. Look at Hebrews 11.3. By faith we understand that the words were framed by the word of God, and that things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith we know everything was created by God. How does the Bible begin? begin? In the beginning. God created the heavens and the earths. You see? How do you know? By faith. From the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What does John 1, 1 say? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. God says, you see, it's true from the beginning. Do you believe? Do we really believe? That's what Apostle John was trying to tell. Remember that passage, I want to look at that. How he separates people within the body of Christ into three spiritual categories. This is how he separates. 1 John chapter 2, 12. I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Children. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the father. I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. You look at what he is saying. Little children, you know your father as the one who forgives sins. Young men, the word of God is strong in you, so you are fighting and winning over the evil one. But when it comes to father, the only thing he says, you have known him from the beginning. That's all. You've known him from the beginning. The question is, how do we know him? All these three categories have faith. One has faith to believe for their salvation. The other group, the young men, have the faith to fight the enemy. The third group, they rest in the grace and the knowledge of God. They know him from the beginning. That's what that's what the Bible is talking about in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. He who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his work. 
Let us therefore be diligent to enter the rest. What is he talking about? He says, when you come to know God in the beginning, from the beginning, the way the fathers understand, there is a rest in your soul. You would have all these storms going on around you, but there is a rest. So Peter will sleep in prison, Paul will sing in prison, and Apostle John will worship in the island. Why? Because they have known him from the beginning. They are all going through unbelievable trials, but they are not shaken. They have entered into his rest. Therefore, they have ceased from their works. That doesn't mean they don't do any work. No. They have ceased from their own works so that the works of God begins in them or God works through them. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I sent you a WhatsApp picture today, right? The two important days in your life. The first day is when you are born. The second day you are when you know why. One person replied to me from Yahoo, I know why I was born. I've never seen him. Never seen him. But he follows all the messages. Do you know why? Because there is a set of works God has ordained for everybody. And it is hard work. Don't ever think it is easy work. It's hard work physically. But it is a work of faith. It is a work of faith. It's not a work of sight. It's a work of faith. You look at Hebrews 11, verse 7, very family. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen. So it is not seen. Moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Was it hard work? Yes. It is a change of profession completely. I believe he was a farmer. That's why after the ark rested and he came out, he went back to farming. It was a totally change of shift of profession from farmer to shipbuilder. Farmer to shipbuilder. Absolutely. Hard work. But it is a work of faith because you see nothing. Genesis 13, 14 to 15. And Lord said to Abraham, after Lord had separated from him. Lift your eyes now. Look to the place where you are. North, south, east, west. For all the land which you see. I give it to you and your descendants for ever. And then what does he say? Walk the land. Get up and walk the land. Oh, when we see. ah, It's all mine. Yeah. God says now start walking. And he walks for a hundred years. Never allowed to settle in one place. Never allowed to settle in one place. Hundred years he moved. Think about it. Think about it. You know what ministry means? From the day I got into ministry, I have shifted my house at least 25 times. Place to place, city to city. Kept moving. Just because of ministry. The minute you went to a secular job, it's one house, you're settled. Unless it's a transferable job. Hundred years. It's not an easy job. Second Timothy to young Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not divide to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. What does it mean? Work hard, young man. Work hard. Work hard. 
A work of faith is not easy work. It is also hard work. Hard work. That's what we saw last week in 1 Thessalonians 1.3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, which is a labor of love. And the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the difference between when faith comes in, you have a work of faith and a labor of love. Do you know the difference? What is work and labor? How do you, ex- let's, let's, let me explain to you. My wife and we were in another city in a hotel and one of our kids were with us. And uh, 11 o'clock or something, the child, I can't remember exactly, child wanted to eat something. And we called up the restaurant, they said, sir, the restaurant is closed. What did they say? Restaurant is closed. Now you are a mother and you have a child and the child cries at 12 o'clock at night for a feed. Do you say restaurant is closed? Do you see? They also worked. They said we did a 12 hour shift. It is over. But mothers, do they say we did a 12 hour shift and it is shut down? No. So God says, do you understand what the work in the kingdom of God is? It's a work of faith and it's a labor of love. There is both involved. There is both involved. We are all servants of God. In the world you can say time up. When I worked in the secular realm, that's what happened. When I first started working in Hyderabad, 5 o'clock over. I finished my work 15 minutes early. My desk was clear and I saw, first day I saw, nobody was leaving. Then I asked my colleagues, why are they not leaving? They said, how can you leave? The chairman of the company is sitting there. The MD is sitting here. How can you leave? But I said, my work is over. They said, no, we are scared. So the first day I sat there. Second day again, I finished my work. My table is all clear. Last manuscript given to the publisher. And then I said, you're coming or not. I am leaving. Because the company rule says, five. And I finished my work at before five. I, and the reason I am giving because I need to go back and I need to go to church for the mid, midday, um, midweek prayer meeting. And the first time in that company, one man picked up his bag and walked right through the chairman and the MD. Second day, two others joined me. So I became a Daniel in the company. Not if you haven't finished your work. You finish your work. Remember, you are getting paid to do your work. So please remember, in the world we do stuff like that. In the kingdom, you never say. You never say. People call at 1 in the morning, 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, all times of the day. We look at the number, okay, this is serious case. Okay, tell me what it is. Let me pray with you. You don't say, I'd finish my 8 hour shift. You don't say that. There are no shift timings in the kingdom. Because it's a work of faith and it is a labor of love. That's what the Bible is talking about. And the problem is this. Hepsiba has written her exam. Let us say she did it well. By sight she studied. By faith she was honest, integrity. But she also know in two months time result will come. Right? So you know result is coming. The problem with this walk of faith and work of faith is that you may not even see the result in this life. But God expects you to continue till the last day. 
See, it is easy to do something when you know there is an appointed time and the result you will see. Even pregnancy is nine months. Unless you have the genes of an elephant. Then it is 20 months. It's nine months. After that, you know you will see. After all these things will become reality. You know, but faith, look at Hebrews 11. Verses 35 to 40. Women received the dead raised to life again. Others were tortured. Not accepting deliverance. Meaning they died. They might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had the trials of mockings and scourgings. And yes of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn into two. That's how they say Paul was. Apostle Paul was killed. Were tempted. Were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. Being destitute. Afflicted. Tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise in this life. Why? God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Till today, there are countless thousands and thousands of God's people living and going through this. And God didn't rescue them. God said, I expect you to be faithful till the end. That is where when your faith is tested, what the devil will try to do is bring impatience. Jump! Get out! Shortcut! Shortcut! After all, God understands. That's all. All the millions who died in the first century under Caesar, all they had to do was take a pinch of incense and put before the statue and say, Caesar is Lord. And they said, no, Christ is Lord. Caesar is king, but Christ is Lord. They said, we won't worship Caesar. They said, die. And they died. One pinch. We will say, of course, God, you understand. Here, one pinch. One pinch. That's all it did. He said, no, we will not. So, impatience. That's why he says, in patience, be careful. You need patience. You need perseverance. You need endurance. So, little by little by little by little by little by, God is preparing us. You have to pass this test. Like children. Some children, we will tell them, okay, change your subject. Don't go there. You don't have it in you. You're terrible in math, so don't even go there. Don't even go there. You don't have it. How many times have you flunked in math? Ten times. And you want to do math? MPC? You don't have it. Pick something else. Okay? So you see God prepares us. We have to go through that stages. Otherwise, we will not receive our crown. Not our salvation. Our crown. The other thing the devil does is he makes us grow weary. Grow Tired. How long, Lord? I'm tired. Galatians 6 9, scripture says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Why does he say that? Because there's a difference between the kingdom and the world. In the world, if you do good, you will get an award. Best teacher, best professor, best social worker, all that you will get. In the kingdom, you may get kicks. And God says, don't let that stop you. Because your rewarder is not here. Your rewarder is there. Do not grow weary. Do not grow weary. 
Because we know who your master is, who your Lord is. Do not grow weary. Because here you get a pat on the cap, commendation, certificates, all these kind of things. And sadly, churches are built like that. Everybody has to be commended if they have to keep on doing. In this church, it doesn't happen. I don't even remember to commend you. In 10 years, I think the 10th anniversary or 7th anniversary, I said some good words. Thank you. I don't want you to, to say it because you need to realize you may go through life where you hear nothing. And you will still not grow weary because we are running for a race where the crown is on the other side. And this weariness is not the weariness of the body. It's more than that. It's the weariness of the soul. Body, you get tired, you get a nice nap, you wake up, you can work again. But what happens? Your soul gets weary. And why does the soul get weary? The soul gets weary because you never cultivated the habit of waiting before God. That's what we said yesterday. Be still. Be still. You need to understand that even in heaven, where? Souls get impatient. Forget earth. If you are impatient on earth, God says, I understand. <laughs> to a point. What about souls in heaven? Look at Revelation. He opened the fifth seal. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long? <laughs> How long, O oh Lord? Holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then a white robe was given to each of them and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. God says, no, everybody is not killed yet. There are more to be killed. So you wait. Give them a robe. Put on this robe. Sit there quietly. It's not over yet. I believe these were Old Testament saints because Old Testament saints are the only ones who will ask for revenge. New Testament saints don't ask for revenge. Okay, so, but God is saying, even there, there is impatience is there. But why do we go weary in the soul? Why do we go? Look at what God says, the most famous lines we know. Isaiah 40, 30 and 31. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. Now this is not talking about something physical. It's talking about your soul. You'll continue to keep doing what you're doing and keep doing. You will not grow weary because you have learned to wait on the Lord. The one who replenishes your soul. That's why Jesus said, come to me. I will give you rest. Rest for your soul. You don't go weary. That's what the Bible is talking about. Enter, labor to enter into his rest and then go do your works. You will not grow weary. Because a lot of people grow weary. Think about Noah. For a minute, think about Noah. Building a boat and preaching the same message for 100 plus years. Building a boat for 100 plus years. Preaching the same message of righteousness for 100 plus years. He does not see for 100 plus years a drop of rain. Continues building the boat. For 100 plus years, he does not see one convert. Still preaches the same message. Why? Because he learned to wait on the Lord. And he was not weary in his soul. Can we do that? Can we do a work 
God says, build about. Flood is coming. You keep on building, 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 building. Not even one drop falls for over 120 years. And you keep preaching, preaching, preaching. Peter calls him the preacher of righteousness. Not one man outside his family believes. Not even the closest relatives. Did he grow weary? He didn't. Because after some time you will start, if you don't see results, you will actually start doubting. Is this message true? Is this message true? But you know the person, therefore you know the message is true. You don't look at the effects it has. You look at the person who has spoken and you say, the one who spoke is faithful. Flood will come. People need to get him. I can't get people get him. I can only preach the word. I cannot save people. Only God can. That's why scripture says, wait on the Lord. If you don't wait on the Lord, you will not renew your strength. You will not be able to endure. A lot of people are not able to endure. Honestly, ask yourself, how many of you can sit, if tomorrow is a holiday, everybody knows tomorrow is a holiday, but how many of you can actually sit and work on the word for 10 hours? Because in the flesh, you cannot, because the word of God is spirit. You will be able to watch a cricket match for 6 hours, you can watch 3 movies at a stretch, you can read 2 novels, you cannot do this unless your soul has been connected with God. You cannot. It's not possible. Because this is spirit. How many of you can pray without ceasing for four hours? Tomorrow is a holiday. Because if you try to do in the flesh what is spiritual, you will grow weary. It's not possible. All you will be able to do is just send forwards. That's why God says, come to me. Come to me. Remember your soul. That's the most important part. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. I will give you rest for the soul. And once you have learned that process, you realize you are able to do more and more and more and more and more because you are connected to him. You understood the value of faith. Faith is more precious than anything. The kingdom of God is more real than the kingdom of this world. And oh Lord, I am able to renew my strength. Even youth will go weary. That's what the Bible says. But those who wait on the Lord, they will have what is called endurance. Patience and endurance. Remember 1 Thessalonians 1.3? Work of faith, labor of love, and endurance of hope. Endurance is actually directly connected with hope. Why do you endure? Because you know the one who promises faithful. If I endure till the end, I will get my, get my crown. I'll get my crown. So these are all connected. Lord of us don't have endurance in this spiritual race. We don't have endurance. And God is testing us to see. You see, let me tell you. You go to almost any church in the city. Most of them cannot survive more than 30 minutes of the word. They cannot survive. Not even pastors can. Monday morning I was preaching to pastors. I'll tell you. Front row two pastors sitting. One is a bishop in the Protestant. Archbishop in the Protestant. And a pastor. Both fell asleep in 10 minutes. The rest of them were listening. 
we cannot endure. But you can. Because we've been taught over a period of time. It's not that you endured the first year. You struggled. And I know some small ones, Anusha and all sleeping in my wife's arms. You're all big. You're five years when you came, right, Hepziba? Yeah, you're five years old. I know many of you sleeping in my wife's arms while I was preaching. Now you're sitting and listening because you endured. You endured. But that doesn't mean you really endure. You're enduring here because you have no escape. Endurance is shown when you are on your own. When you are on your own. I'm just telling you a small snippet about it. But you have to realize, hope and endurance are connected. They're all connected. Look at Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the substance of things. Hope. The evidence of things. Unseen. What do you see? Paul said, I am not going to quit this race because I see a crown. I want that crown. And I'm going to run for that crown and I'm not going to quit. You can do what you want to me to see, sir. I am not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. So we have to be careful about all these things. Love God with all your heart. Don't love your neighbor with all, all your heart. That's a, that's a, no, no, the problem is that's exactly what the world is doing. They take God out of the picture. They will never talk about loving God with all your heart. They will never ever talk about that. They will say, love your neighbor as yourself. They will say, therefore, homosexuality has to be accepted. Transgender has to be accepted. This has to be accepted. That has to be accepted because you love your neighbor as yourself. That's the, that's the word. They all use the word. But they use it very selectively. But God didn't say that. He says, first, you love me with all your heart, with all your might, all your strength. That the object of our faith is God. The object of our love is God first. And the hope of our object is, is the hope of what? Glory. It is a hope of glory, not here in the coming world. It's a future glory, not a present glory. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, yeah, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men pitiable, pitiable. Every year, 30,000 churches shut down in U.S. alone. Tens and thousands of ministers quit the profession because they give up. What's the point? What's the point? What's the point? There's no point, but there is a point. The point is your hope is on the other side, not on this side. You're not running for anything here. It's not anything here. When your hope is on this side, in this life, anything that is difficult called suffering, we will all back off from it. We'll back off from it. We don't want suffering. If our hope is on this side. Meaning, we will suffer if we can achieve it. But if somebody offers that same thing without suffering, we'll take it. Right? Look at Romans. Eight. And if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him. That we may also be glorified, hope of glory. Glorified together. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Do you see how saints endured for 2,000 years? 
without complaining without complaining they said we understand the purpose of suffering the purpose of suffering is the testing of our faith it has to produce patience perseverance and endurance when it has completed its works it will produce a character if i have the character of christ by the time i finish i definitely have the hope of glory of receiving a crown i will rule all of eternity all of eternity they saw it and they ran the race that's what the bible is talking about don't give up don't grow weary don't quit don't take the easy way out and examples in the bible have given one two examples and maybe we'll stop for tonight let's have genesis now jacob cooked us too and esau came in from the field and he was weary do not grow weary he came weary and esau said to jacob please feed me with that same red stew for i am now let me tell you what i actually should have, could have happened I don't think he was just tired. I don't think he was just hungry in the body alone. I believe he went for hunting for days and didn't catch anything. And he came back very dejected, disappointed, totally unsuccessful. And there is hunger also. He had nothing to eat. but whole mission was a failure so he was weary in the body and weary in the soul at that time he sold his birthright that's why you need to be very careful this is not about the body when you are totally unsuccessful in something which god has called you to do do not grow weary wait on the lord because you don't know you go with an expected result but the result may be something else leave your father leave your father's household i am giving you this land your descendants will possess it i will bless you i'll make your name great all that and then you walk and you walk no child you walk and you walk 25 years you have walked and then at 100 you get a child and then you walk and you walk and you walk god just offer the child then you get the child back then you walk and then you walk your wife dies and god says buy a burial plot that's all you will buy you will not own anything here that's all he owned in the promise land abraham did not own anything except a burial plot where he buried his wife that's all he owned yet what was the promise i will make you make make your name great and your descendants shall possess this land and you will see one day the descendants of abraham spiritual descendants of abraham will possess this world and he saw that by faith and he walked without growing weary that's a walk of faith that's where you have to guard your heart from because if you do not you will grow weary because in this world everything is tangible he was weary in his soul he was weary in his body all he could sell was the stew jacob said give me a birthright that's connected with a future glory he said who the hell cares about it? take it give me the stew and he sold it when he was weary that's what people do because they grow weary in the soul because they do not know how to wait on the lord 
They do not know how to be still before the Lord. They do not know how to nourish their soul with the word of God. Because the word of God will only, the soul will only take the word of God. Listen to Deuteronomy 25, 18. God is talking about the Amalekites, why they need to be destroyed. Remember how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks and all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary and you did not fear God. What is he trying to do? This is Amalekites. You need to understand. Amalekites spirit and Philistine spirit. These are spiritual forces given as people in the old covenant. Spiritual forces. The Amalekite spirit in you will target the tired and the weary. They immediately sense you are tired and you are weary. They will target you. The Philistine will come after the strong and the powerful and come and fight with me. That's a Philistine spirit. It doesn't go after the tired and the weary. But the Amalekite spirit will come after the tired and the weary. God was saying, that's why he told Saul, finish the Amalekite spirit. From generation to generation, my spirit shall contend with the Amalekite spirit. Why? They go after the tired and the weary, the weak ones. The stragglers. Promises, go, we are going to the land flowing with milk and honey. The ones at the back of the crowd, they only had milk. They did not even hear honey. That's the problem when you sit at the back and the speaker doesn't work. Or you hear honey and you think pastor is calling his wife. You don't know it's scripture. So the stragglers are at the back and Moses is talking to them about all God's law and this thing. They didn't hear half of it. And now, how long? How long? It's all we see this desert and all that comes is manna. We are tired. You see what happens? You never knew what was to feed your soul. You never knew what was to wait on the Lord. You never knew what was to believe in the promises of God and take it in. And you grow weary. You grow weary in your marriages. You grow weary in your contention for the salvation of your children. You grow weary. Every Sunday we have praying for the salvation of unsaved loved ones. Let me ask you, how many of you have consistently interceded for them for years and years and years without giving up? Grown weary. God says, be careful. Do not grow weary. Feed your soul. These are things that really, really matter in life. There will be many children who will enter into heaven thinking that all the trophies they got on earth, I got first rank, I got this in, I got Arjuna award. And some children will say, I brought my father's soul and my mother's soul. Lord God says, well done. You knew what was valuable. Don't grow weary. Understand value. Understand value. Because the enemy will always strike you when you are weary. When you are weary. First Samuel 30, 21. And David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David. Yes! 16 months living in the Philistines camp, fighting, 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 winning, fighting, winning, but no fellowship with the rest of Israel. And there is the Bible in the book of Hebrews will always say, as you see the day gathering, please keep on meeting, encourage, 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 but you know, most people will only come once a week. And when there is an Amalekite attack, they are the first ones to fall. 
Why? Because they are weary. Now they are weary because no fellowship. Then the rejection. The king Ashish says, don't come fight with me because the people don't trust you. So three days marching back to your town. When they reach the town, the town is burnt. And all your family has been taken. They cry and they cry and they cry and they cry until they have no strength. But one man holds him through it all. Ask the Lord, pursue, overtake. And now they are pursuing. 200 says, we have no strength. They are tired. It's your family and your children. I'm sorry. I don't care anymore. Let them die. I tired. They gave up. David said, wait a second. Wait here. Wait here. Wait here. I'll do one thing. 400, you will follow me? Yes. Take all your bags. All your baggage you carry. Leave it with them. We will travel light and we'll go fast. But on the day of glory, that is the day they will recover all. That is the day Saul will die. That is the day spiritually David will become the king of Israel. That day they missed their glory because they were weary. After following David for all these years, on the day of glory, they missed it because they were weary. And they got a part of the rewards only because David was kind. And the other 400 were not. They said they should not share. David said, leave it alone. Give them also a share. Do you understand? Why we have to guard ourselves from these things? Guard ourselves. That's why I have to take faith very, very seriously. And the reading, the studying, the meditation, and the hearing of the word of God, very, very seriously. And consciously enter into God's rest and hear and we continue doing the things which God has told us to do, even though we may see no. About uh, George Muller, it was said, two of his best friends who did not believe, he without fail prayed for them for almost 30 or 35 years every day and they got saved after he died. But he never stopped praying for them. He never saw them getting saved. But in heaven, he looked down and saw them getting saved. God says, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. Many of these tests are allowed by God so that we become endure and strong. But when you are don't, the enemy will use the same thing to make you sell off your inheritance like Esau or throw away your glory which was just hours away. You gave it up. Only one man on that 600 that day. He was also tired in the body. He also cried. But you know what? That is one man who knew the promises of God. He was one man whose soul was full of the word of God. So scripture says, he encouraged himself in the Lord. And he asked God. Because inside, he was okay. Ultimately, I'm telling you, when those days and those hours come, the only thing that will matter is this. Do you know your promises? Two, do you trust God with his promises? Do you love him with all your heart? Do you trust him with all your heart? That's the only things that will ultimately matter in eternity. Everything else will fall down, pass away. So this evening, as we come, because this is all Lenten season, And learn from Jesus, hanging on the cross, no connection with the Father, absolute darkness, absolute silence. Yet he goes through the entire Bible and he has one promise to hold on. I will not leave your soul in 
Shiva. I will not let your body go through corruption. That's all. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And on the third day, scripture says the Holy Spirit raised him up from the dead. And Ephesians 1 says that same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is given to you and to me. Don't neglect the word. Don't neglect church. You do at the cost of your soul. You may prosper in the body, but it will cost you one day. Cost you one day. Shall we pray? Father, this evening we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you, we just praise you, we just worship you, Lord. You put us in this race. When we were saved, all of us, you put us in this race. And at the end of the race, there is a day that is coming. A day when the results will be declared. Where crowns will be given out. And I pray, Father, as we run this race, we'll guard our heart. We'll love you with all our heart. We'll trust you with all our heart. And you will give us the strength to endure till the end, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Once again, I surrender the church into thy hands. And I pray that you will bless us. And you would keep us. And you would keep us close to you, Lord. You brought us safely today into thy house. We also trust you. You will reach all of us back home safely, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.